0: And and Psalm 65 can be found on page 580 in the Old Testament section of the Bible. Praise awaits you, our God, in Zion. To you our vows will be fulfilled. You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. When we were overwhelmed by sins, you forgave our transgressions. Blessed are those you choose and bring near to live in your courts. We are filled with the good things of your house, of your holy temple. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds, God our Saviour, the hope of all the ends of the earth and of the farthest seas, who formed the mountains by your power, having armed yourself with strength, who stilled the roaring of the seas, the roaring of their waves and the turmoil of the nations. The whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders, Mm. where morning dawns Where evening fades, you call forth songs of joy. You care for the land and water it. You enrich it abundantly. The streams of God are filled with water to provide the people with corn. For so you have ordained it. You drench its furrows and level its ridges. You soften it with showers and bless its crops. You crown the year with your bounty and your carts overflow with abundance. The grasslands of the wilderness overflow. The hills are clothed with gladness. The meadows are covered with flocks and the valleys are mantled with corn. They shout for joy and sing. This is the word of the Lord.
1: The second reading is taken from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. You can find it on page 1051 of the Pew Bible starting to read at verse 11. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee. As he was going into a village, ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. when Jesus asked, were not all 10 cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God, except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. This is the word of the Lord.
2: Good morning everyone, good morning twice, there we go. <laughs> um, so I'm going to focus on this harvest day on the story of Jesus healing the 10 lepers, um, which is a traditional harvest uh, reading in fact. And the areas I want to focus on is gratitude and Borders because the story begins with Jesus presumably traveling with his disciples, um, making his way along the border between Samaria and Galilee. Now, borders are quite complicated places. We think we know where they are. We think, you know, we may have an idea in our head about maps. Um, we, We think we. The UK is fairly straightforward, because we're an island. But Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland, that gets more complicated. If I was to ask you, where is the border? You may have an idea, you may know. But when you actually get to that border, it's really hard to see it, you know? And some borders between countries, the ones the desert borders, are impossible to find. they are lines in the sand, and the sand moves and even borders where there are rivers, geographical um, boundaries. Where, is the, where in the river is one country? Where does one country start and where does another country finish? Um, so Jesus is traveling between these two places and I think that's important because he's between Galilee and Samaria and Samaria is a place that the Jews regarded as outcasts, essentially, you know, not quite right, um, not welcome, uh, somehow somehow, part of Israel, but somehow not, you know, they were looked down upon, they were very, very much um, despised people, and there he is, somewhere between those two places. So, the border is an interesting concept, really. And in fact, there was an artist, there is an artist, I should say, John Byrne, who, an Irish artist, who once decided to focus people's attention on what border is, and he constructed um, a border interpretation centre, a bit like at, um, the Ralph Allen at Coombe Down, is the Mines Interpretation Centre, so you can go and visit and see, find out about the mines and so on. He decided that the border between Northern Ireland and Southern Ireland should be celebrated. And so he built, actually, he he found a little sort of hut, really made out of breeze blocks, painted white, really nothing to speak of. He managed to put a garish neon sign on the top of it that said border. And then he did a big opening of it, and he's an artist by the way, and a busload of people came and the TV was there and they opened this border interpretation centre so that people could admire the border between Northern and Southern Ireland, but was the border actually there? No one was quite sure, and uh, in fact for various reasons it had to close before the week was up. And then the, the little border interpretation center itself was then recreated in a museum and eventually it went to a museum, a gallery in Berlin, and was exhibited quite close to Checkpoint Charlie, another border line. So we think, we, I, I think even today, we think we know what a border is between one place and another, but actually there is quite a lot of fluidity and I think Jesus standing here between these two places is, is showing us that and is reminding us that difference, in a sense, is okay. You know, opening our, our minds and our hearts to that. We also see at the end of this story, the 10th leper exhibiting deep gratitude for, for his healing. And in the Psalm 65 that Ruth read, we hear how the very earth, the very earth sings for joy for what God has done, and that um, the valleys shout for joy and sing, and that the whole earth is filled with awe at your wonders. You call forth songs of joy. So the very creation, the very land, If if we will only stop and stare and stop and see it and see what God has given us, calls forth joy from our hearts, if if we do that, I think. But but there is a sense there as well that the earth anyway is full of joy and is giving thanks to God, whether we do or not, whether we choose to or not. Um, So I'm interested in, the whole business of gratitude and what it means to be thankful. And I know I'm sure all of you will be aware, and I certainly I am in mean, my job, that you can do a huge amount for somebody, and then really they they get I don't know, you, you do something and then there's some comment somewhere in my case on the school Facebook page, perhaps, you know, that it, it's not as good as it could be. And you think, oh my goodness gracious me, I've worked so hard on that. <coughs> and that can make you feel as though, well, I'm not gonna try anymore. And the opposite is also true that if you put in a lot of effort and a lot of work and somebody says thank you so much i really really appreciate that then you do more and from that we have that idiom do not bite the hand that feeds you be grateful you know and so there is some sort of cycle there something that's really good for us of being grateful saying thank you and Connected with that is generosity of heart and generosity of spirit. And it is, gratitude is something which uh, Martin Luther said is fundamentally the basic Christian attitude. And there is something about gratitude which is key to our faith, something about saying thank you. So I'm essentially just going to tell you the story of the 10 lepers so that once upon a time there were 10 lepers and first of all I want you to think about leprosy let's think about leprosy first before we get into the lepers let's think about that because in the, there isn't much there aren't many people affected by leprosy today not even in our lifetimes that's reduced significantly but um, even Back as far as 1969 there were many leper colonies and people were um, isolated and kept together it's a disease that can take 20 years before you even know that you have it and it's caused by bacteria in the time that we're looking at here and and even before that the the jewish people understood that or the priests understood that lepers had to be kept separate from everyone else. Now we today will understand that as isolation, I think. Um, So that is pretty remarkable that in Leviticus, there there's very clear laws there, two priests to identify leprosy, and then the lepers were told to keep themselves away from anyone else, to not let anyone come within six feet of them, approximately, Um, they they were untouchable, you weren't to touch them. that was out of the fear that if you did, you'd become unclean, um, as well as become leprous. Um, In fact, it's really hard to catch leprosy by touching someone, but because of this idea of uncleanliness, it became, leprosy became associated with sinfulness, and so there's an association then, which I think we still have today sometimes, when things are going badly for people, we can sometimes think it's because of, well, it's t- it's, that's not surprising, really, when you think about their lives and how they behave and what they do. You know, we can be quite judgmental like that. And for lepers then, there was a view from the wider society that they were bad people, you know, they were sinners. And there was no cure, so they were just kept, um, cast out, really. And even in uh, recent history, that's still how lepers were treated. So, I say recent history, so um, in the 19th century, leprosy arrived in Hawaii, along with a lot of other diseases. And the way they dealt with that was to move all the people who were identified as having leprosy to a particular island. They thought they gave them enough food and enough provisions and enough equipment to survive on the island and to be able to to, uh, sow the land and and plough the land and harvest it and so on. Not realizing that leprosy, of course, makes it really hard for people to work tools when they start to lose um, the use of their hands. And what happened on the island was that the people got together And actually, they became pretty disaffected, Um, the chaos broke out, and uh, they didn't have enough food, the food ran out, there was no more provision for them, and it was a real mess. And so a priest was sent by um, the Catholic bishop to the island, Damien, to help them. And he ended up staying there for many years. And... Brought uh, First thing he did was build a church, but then he brought stability and he organized um, graveyards and making coffins and all this kind of thing, as well as plowing the land as, and, and getting some order together for the people. And eventually he himself contracted leprosy um, and died there and, and was subsequently um, made into a saint. And that place closed down in 1969, which I was 10 then, so... That's relatively in recent times. Um, Today, of course, we have Ebola hitting the headlines, don't we, this year? And I know, well, I know that for myself, I'm quite quick to catastrophize things and, um, you know, just think three steps ahead almost to prevent it happening. So when you hear that somebody's arrived in the United States with Ebola, there's a bit of a, oh, Uh, What's going to happen next? We're going to have a world epidemic. Um, And it's obviously very, very serious. And what people are doing there also is trying to isolate and treat people. So, this kind of thing is not uh, totally uncommon. But these people in this story are like that. They've been separated from everyone else. And they've formed a group of ten. And that's quite interesting because that often happens, doesn't it? When you feel, when you're in a bad place and you feel cast out, or you feel that other people don't understand, or other people don't get you, if you meet other people in that position, you do tend to group together. So there's 10 of them, kind of a um, self-help group maybe, who are hanging around together um, in this village. And along comes, along comes Jesus, and they shout out to him. They shout out to him because they can't go close to him. And they say, Master, have pity on us. Now these 10 people, let's just think for a minute, were not born lepers. They had lives like you and I have now. So amongst those 10, we know there was at least one Samaritan, but there are people from all walks of life, people with families, perhaps older people, younger people, people with businesses, people who were successful, people who weren't, um, people who spoke different languages. In this group of 10, I'm sure that it was a diverse group of people. And they got on well because of their common condition, if you like. And, they, and that, sometimes we find that is a leveller, isn't it? That helps us to get on. We know a good example of this is, is the reports of people in, in um, the army in times of war, the, the camaraderie in the trenches where people of all, from all backgrounds, all ages, suddenly get on really well and remain friends for life. I have uh, my friend's father who died uh, last year um, was sunk uh, in, the, in the war and all the people on that boat, uh, who most of whom were actually rescued, remained friends and met up every year for 50 years, you know, it was amazing. And they got on no matter what their background because they'd been through hardship together. So these 10 people from different backgrounds are getting on really well together. But they're, I mean, getting on really well, they're surviving together. And you can imagine how to get through that, they're probably laughing and making jokes and all the rest of it, but somebody has heard about Jesus. One of them has, and you can imagine the daring going on. Oh, you, somebody, go on, dare you, ask him, ask him, shout out, ask, ask, and one of them does. One of them steps forward and says, Jesus, master, have pity on us. And Jesus does, and it says, when he saw them, he said, go, show yourselves to the priests now if you had leprosy in those days you had to go and show yourself to the priest the priest could identify it if you were suddenly found not to have it you still had to go to the priest the priest would check your skin check you and if they thought that you no longer had it or that you were now clean they would ask you to shave your head, burn your clothes, and eventually give you a certificate saying that you are clean. And then you were allowed to go back and rejoin your family and take up your life from where it was before. And what an amazing thing that must have been to have been able to go back to the place that you were taken away from. I mean, they were almost like prisoners, if you think about it. One, they had a life once, and then suddenly that's taken away from them. And now they've got a chance to go home and to go back to their friends, to go back to their family, to go back to what they did, if they can get the certificate from the priest. So what he says to them is actually very true. And it's also interesting that Jesus tells them to do something. On this occasion, he doesn't say, you are healed, or and he touched them and they were healed. There's nothing like that. He doesn't say that, he just says, go. Show yourselves to the priests, so they have to move. They have to do something. And that's so often true, isn't it? That we have to do something to help ourselves. And almost as we get going, it's like that old, um, I used to have a a Diane, a Citroen Diane, a bit like a 2CV in James Bond. That was the days when I liked Star Trek as well actually. And um, it actually had one of those starting handles, you know, that you stuck in like that and you had to turn it like that, get the engine going around. That makes me feel so old that I had that. <laughs> I had one of those. It was considered quaint at the time, I remember. Someone was very rude once and said it was like a sewing machine on wheels. But anyway, but it's almost like that. That turning the engine to get it going is walking out, is doing something, and as those people stepped out and turned the engine, then God comes in with His holy Spirit and cleanses them. But they have to take that initial step first. they have to do something. It reminds me of Moses as well when he arrives at the Red Sea, and you know they're, they're all being chased, and what does he do? And, and God says, "Put your hand out you know." raise your hand out over the over the water and it's separated i mean he has to do something it's not just this is just going to happen to you and then everything's fine you actually have to be part of it part of the process and so they do as they went they were cleansed so they're walking off down the road to jerusalem the same direction that jesus is going in in fact towards the towards the And uh, if you have leprosy, you have sort of scaly, sc- a scaly, a um, scaly skin condition. And we—I don't know—when I was at school, we told the most uninclusive jokes imaginable about lepers. But you know, you lose your digits and and feeling and so on. So as they're walking along, they look and they see that they no longer have this scaly skin. That that their hands are are can feel. You know, they have set. They have. They have a sense of, of feeling when they rub their hands together and they can feel that their faces are no longer all bumpy and gnarled, you know? And they, they suddenly realize that, hey, you know, it, it, we don't, we're, we're all right. We're gonna be able to go home. The priests have got to give us a certificate. Everything's gonna be amazing. They must have been so happy, so excited. But one of them Just one of them, and I think that's okay, by the way. In a sense, I think it's okay. But just one of them, when he saw he was healed, verse 15, came back, praising God in a loud voice. I think that's amazing on two counts, really. One is that he was with that group that had been part of his support group. You know, when you're really part of a group like that, a group that helps you to get through life, a group that helps you to find the best places to beg, there's real camaraderie there. They're his friends. They've been through, you know, hell and high water together. And they're all rushing off to Jerusalem now to get their certificates to go home to their former lives. But he just has this little niggle in his head that actually the person who's caused this to happen is the person we called master and actually he's that way not that way and so he has to make a decision which takes him away from the group and that's a very brave and courageous thing to do you've all been there I'm sure where you're together and you're trying to decide something and you think actually no this isn't the right thing we should be doing this but you actually feel you have to go with everyone else. And sometimes you have enough kind of inner strength that you can say, no, I I don't think that's right. I I think this is right. So he's a very, very brave person who thinks, actually, you guys go on ahead then. If you're not gonna come with me, you go on ahead, but I'm gonna go back because in a way, I think this is the priest. And even if I don't get a certificate straight away, you know, so I can rejoin my family, I've got to go and show myself to him. And there's the thing too, show yourselves to the priests. When you share your innermost self with another who's standing there connected to God, the person who makes those mountains, makes those rivers, Big stuff, you know, the divine, the Milky Way, the black holes, the universe, all of that. When you're connecting to that and showing yourselves, you're making yourself very, very vulnerable. And going to show yourself, reveal who you are to the priest. Have your head shaved, your clothes burned, be naked. It's a scary thing to do, but he goes to Jesus to do that. And he is coming face to face with God in a very different way. And so he, he comes and he gets so close to Jesus that he ends up having no other response but to throw himself down onto the ground. And I'm sure there are times when you have been so grateful and so thankful for something that you either jump up and down, you have a physical response, you know, and there's all sorts of physical responses, I know. If scoring goals, you know, everyone's hands go in the air or they turn into airplanes, you know, and all this kind of thing. There's bowing, there's curtsying, there's, there's all these things. But when you're overwhelmed with gratefulness, when you're revealing who you are and being honest about yourself, his response is to throw himself onto the ground in front of Jesus and, um, and to thank him and then we're told the next thing about this person he he's a samaritan he's one of the he he he's one of the others you know he's the last person that perhaps the disciples or or jewish people reading the story would expect to be the one to come back and say thank you because they're the ones we don't like you know but he's he, that is who he was you know, um, with the Ebola crisis, William Pooley, the nurse, the English nurse who was out there, he, um, he came back, as you know, so he, didn't, he saw this terrible illness devastating the hospital where he was. And um, he said, he's decided now that the least he can do is go back. And he... And I was reading this about him. He said, having received all this amazing care in the UK and have people look after me, it's really the least I could do to go back and return the favour to some other people, even just for a little while. And he says the wards where he was when he started were pretty grim, corpses, blood, the place was really dirty, people dying in quite unpleasant ways, no running water, no sheets, no um, foods. And while he was there, of course, he found out that he had contracted Ebola, and the doctor came to tell him this. He, he was very muggy in his head and everything, and the doctor told he knew that he was coming to tell him that because he was wearing the protective clothing. But he said to him, "You are young and strong, you're going to be fine." which there was a fifty percent chance that he was going to be fine, but he took comfort from those words. But he says that the hardest thing he had to do was to phone his dad and tell him that was the hardest thing of all of that was phoning his dad he phoned his dad who was at a wedding of a cousin at the time and having a wedding breakfast and he the father recalls him saying just on the phone saying dad i've got it and the father said you mean and Um, William Pooley said Ebola and he said there was a long pause after that and that was the hardest thing he had to do to tell his father to show himself you know to say I've done this thing they probably weren't very happy about him being there I've done this thing and now I've got it and just admitting that showing himself in that way of course now in his gratitude and his gratefulness he's going to go back and and help everybody but that moment of going to Jesus and or to the priest and showing yourself and saying, this is who I am, this is what I've got, this is what's going on. So important for us in order to experience the deepest joy of knowing that Jesus loves us in that place. And then um, Jesus says, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? And I think going back to this business of Jesus being on the border, between the border, in this, this fluid, unclear, undefined place, to pointing out that actually it's the Samaritan, the outsider, who has come back and recognized Jesus as the one who can heal, is an amazing thing. And then Jesus says to him, rise and go, your faith, has made you well. So he's received a double blessing. The others were healed. You know, no, that's for sure. And they went back and lived their lives. But this one was blessed by Jesus twice. And he, his faith made him well because he was able to, to show gratitude. It is really a wonderful story. And uh, I'd ask us to just spend some time thinking, where are you in that story? Who are you in that story do you do you is there something that you want to say thank you for that you found it hard to say thank you for is there a group you need to break away from that you found it hard to break away from let's uh, spend a few minutes um, praying and thanking God for this Dear God, we thank you that for you, everyone is to come to you. Everyone is special and that there are no foreigners. Help us to love one another as you love us. Help us to be grateful for all you have done for us, to take the time to see the world that you've created and to give you thanks. And we pray above all, Lord, that you would heal us of ingratitude and give us hearts full of thanks. Amen. Thank you, Sue. Hearts full of gratitude. And we have our opportunity, as the Samaritan did on that day,